The, uh, thank you guys so much for being here. If you are here in person or if you're watching virtually at home, uh, today's message is for you. We're going to be talking about the church today. Um, so it's one of my favorite things to talk about. It's one of my favorite places to be. It's my favorite people to be with. Um, and on a morning like this, I'm reminded, and my prayer very much is, if you are still watching virtually, um, man, just really praying that God continues to work out circumstances and things in life and in our culture uh, so that your virtual experience on Sunday morning can become again your in-person experience on Sunday morning because um, there is something very unique and special about being in a room with a group of people who are gathered together who are really worshiping Jesus and just excited about the truth of what we sing about and what we read and what we listen to. Um, so we, we'd love to see you soon. We, pr we pray that we're able to. I'm um, going to be talking about church this morning. I grew up, I was a church kid, baby. I, I, don't, I don't remember not going to church. Um, and I have found, though, when you talk about going to church, it brings up kind of a, a mixture of emotions. Um, I think if I, if I could kind of just interview people for a minute, and I'm not going to, I'm not, this is not, we're not airing dirty laundry, right? Um, but our experiences have been very different in church. Some of us would say, hey, some of the best times of my life have been in what I would call church. And then some of us would say, nope, some of my worst times in life have been in a place called church or with a people called a church. Um, my experience has been really, really all over the place. When I was a little kid, um, man, it, like my parents never let me have ADHD. Like they didn't tell me I could have it. I was, I was smuggling it everywhere I went, but I didn't know that I was free just to have it. Um, and I would sit in church, and, and, and this was when, this was before anybody had kids' church. And, and I am so thankful we're able to really connect with our kids at their level where they're at so that we're making better gospel strides in them um, from from the nursery all the way through student ministry up until adulthood all the time. But if you grew up like I grew up, you had to just sit still, right? And, and, and they were clear about that. You had to. And, and I felt like I was being personally challenged every time that I had to sit still. Um, as a kid, there was a, there was a couple that would sit in front of us, and this wonderful lady, but um, it, I don't know for how long she wore it, but all that I ever knew her to wear was this really high beehive wig and she sat right in front of us every week and so part of my ADHD coping in church was I would count the bobby pins I could see <laughs> but the problem was when I focus I have to go all in so at one point I started by just going and then it became and I'm like reaching around and almost ready to like to see, ask her if she'll turn her head. Until, and that was the point that I got, you know, the elbow, the smack, the whatever it was. Um, I also met some great people. Even as a young kid, I, I, I learned that the, the people of all ages were great to be around at church. There was one lady, her name was Della Little. I learned that if I hung around in the hallway coming out of my Sunday school class, and if I could walk up the steps at the same time that Della did, um, I would have chewing gum by the time I got to the top of the steps. Always, every Sunday, this woman, I don't, I just assumed that her pocketbook was like a never-ending supply of chewing gum. It's just, you just kept reaching in and pulling some out. Um, I, when I, I started, when I started in ministry, I was doing volunteer ministry. I did, I did kid ministry, led a, a, a big kids ministry um, during the week on Wednesday nights and just had a lot of fun with it. Um, I was always told several things growing up. I don't know if you were told the same thing. What were you told that you couldn't do in church? What were you told? You can't blank in church. Yeah, talk didn't last, right? Like, and think about, follow that logic. Don't talk in church. Does that not create the most boring church service ever if you just can't ever, like, express something out of you? What, what else were you told? Don't blank in church. Sleep. Now, some of y'all breaking that rule currently. You think, and if you're at home, free pass. Free pass. I've listened to my own sermons. Great, great to listen to at about 9.30 at night. Um, some of you here, you think the lights are low. Not, not that low, um, to be honest with you. Some people, I joke with them, and, and I think that they're going to get it, but, you know, sometimes they don't. Um, sleep, okay, let's just, all right, I'm, I, would, I was always told this, don't run in church. You ever told that? So when I was doing kids' ministry, um, sometimes, like, for a game activity, um, especially when, adult, like, when the majority of adults weren't around, I would set up what I call a racetrack in church just to basically let kids run in church, just to have fun. Like, it's fun to run in church. If you don't know that it's fun to run in church, Come by during the week. We'll open up the building, cut on all the lights. You can run all you want to. We'll laugh, but you can run. Um, so we did that. Well, I was always told, you know, don't climb on the pews. Like, pews were sacred pieces of equipment. Important things happen on pews. Uh, I, I made up a game called Over Under, uh, which is basically just a bunch of teenagers in the dark crawling on pews. I mean, it was, just, it was a lot of fun. 
I, I, I kind of got to the point where I felt like I needed to break the rules, right? But then, if, if I'm being honest, though, even just with some of the goofy stuff that I've done in church and just some of the fun I've had, I've also found um, that some of the greatest moments of my life have been in church. I accepted Christ in a church service, um, in, in an auditorium. Um, I got married in a church. I know that's, that's kind of abnormal now. I don't ever do weddings. I don't ever conduct weddings in churches anymore. Um, now everybody gets married in a barn. When I got married, if somebody said, you're probably going to get married in a barn, it was an insult, right? Like it was not a compliment. Now it's like, oh, you got, oh, you got married in a church. Oh, oh, you're one of those. I mean, I, I don't know like what, like it's, it's a weird, it's, it's kind of a weird transition. Um, I, got, I got married in church. Um, I, some of my best friends in life began while we started serving together. Um, some of the most fun I've had in ministry. Now, I'm, currently, I work for a church, and, and I pray. My, I mean, one of my prayers is I, I want to I work, and I want to serve churches for the rest of my life. Um, but some of the most fun and relaxing times I've ever had in ministry, um, myself and a good friend of mine named Andy, we, we did ministry together. We drove um, kids home and picked them up on vans, just brought them to church, took them home, and then we would just stand outside and talk. N- none of it, we're not getting paid for anything, just loving, serving. Um, and that's just a sweet spot when you can just really fall in love with serving and stuff like that. Also, some of the, some of the craziest times of my life happened in church. Um, I was in a church meeting where my grandfather was voted out of the fellowship of that church. What? That's a tense meeting, isn't it? Right? I mean, like, stuff. I mean, but, it, but and, and I learned at that age, like, hey, there's, like, there's this thing of, you know, we have to consider like what behavior is in church and, and what decisions people make and what is part of being part of a fellowship and not being part of I mean, like all of a sudden I had to grow up and go, okay, then this isn't just casually getting together on Sundays. Like there is, there's reasoning behind the things that we do. And, and some of this stuff is big boy decisions, right? Sorry, not to be sexist. Big girl decisions too. I mean, it, we're equally in favor of big women and big men. Um. <laughs> Sorry, usually I try for those. That one was totally by accident. That was, that was free. <clears throat> We're going to be in um, three places in Scripture this morning. Um, and and, so, and uh, two of these we have not covered yet intentionally because I believe looking at these all together is, is good. We're going to be in Acts 2, at the end of Acts chapter 2. We're going to be at the end of Acts chapter 4. And then we're going to be at the beginning of Acts chapter 5. And if you know what that means, somebody in the story today dies. Actually, two people do. So um, we're going to be looking at these passages because <clears throat> this thing of church is something I believe we really need to understand. Sometimes we get off track. There's, there's times in our lives, especially in this passage of Acts chapter 2, where um, people will use this passage unfairly. They'll say, hey, if my church isn't doing exactly these things, it's wrong. And, and I would challenge you, Try to follow this. The reasons that they were doing what they were doing were, we, we don't actually know that they were all for the best reasons. There were some things we'll talk about to kind of you know, paint maybe a little bit fuller picture of this. But the concepts of what they were doing, what they were devoted to, is really key to understand as we kind of build over this. So at the end of this message, what, what we'll actually end with is really what I hope is a healthy statement of what does it mean for us to be a people together but also, what's a good way for each of us to evaluate ourselves to see how we are in our own walk, in our own place that we, that we occupy? So chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 44, 42, um, and, and I want to get only to the second word of this before I stop for a second to explain something. They devoted. The word devoted here, um, sometimes we think about a commitment. Um, we, we might substitute that word. And, and I think we have, to be, we have to be careful with the idea of commitment because there are different levels of commitment, right? There's commitment, for instance, marriage, and that's the commitment that we believe God calls us to forever. We, I, I know, I, I grew up in a home where divorce happened. Um, divorces do come into play, um, sometimes for reasons that God um, outlines in Scripture, sometimes because it's a heart condition, sometimes it's, um, for some people, it's, it's totally out of their control, it seems. Um, but we, we do understand the concept of marriage is meant to last forever. Why? Because it represents God's permanent love for his people. That's why, okay? So we, we know marriage commitment, serious, big. But commitment to diet, mm, 
Not so much, right? Like that, that one can kind of come and go. We can, we can make a commitment, but then we can kind of change our minds if necessary. Commitment to a sports team. Sometimes it's about them winning or losing. Sometimes it's, it's to the bitter end. Like if God has created you to be a state fan, it's, it's a call to ministry. Um, but, but devoted here really means, in, in, in the original language, continuing consistently with the understanding that resistance will come. So right at that moment, and, and, and it's almost a little bit unique even than something as serious as marriage because when two people get married, they are so crazy in love the way they look at each other. Everybody looks at them going, that is so cute, but they do not get it. Right? We, we, they, they don't know necessarily what's ahead. Well, hopefully they've been counseled well enough to where they do, but they're not thinking of it. This kind of devoted is, I'm going to continue consistently, but I do know that there is going to be something that's going to come up that's going to really get in my way and really want to want to slow me down. But I'm so determined that I can both think about that and push forward at a good pace, right? A consistent pace. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This represented for them what we would call for us a mixture of things. Hopefully, good preaching, good teaching from the Word, but also just the Bible in general. And on this day that this was recorded about, they did not have a copy of New Testament scriptures. The first collection of um, quotes, sayings, teachings of Jesus started to get circulated. It predated the four Gospels that we have, but we don't actually have a record of exactly that writing. So when these folks said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, people that had seen Jesus communicating the message of the gospel in a way that it made sense to them, not just for their salvation, but for their, their life, they had to devote it because that's how they could get it. They couldn't just say, you know what, I'll stay home today and read. There was no stay home today and read. There was no morning Bible study. There was listen and learn, okay? They devoted themselves to that. So for us, that's the connection that we can make into grow spiritually through the Word of God. The next thing they <clears throat> devoted themselves to is to the fellowship. Now, this is, uh, this is whole group language. This is just this inward connection to other believers. Just this idea of I am connected to a group of people that are saved, they trust in Jesus Christ, and, I, and, and I'm committed to be part of that. And this level of commitment isn't, hey, I understand it fully, or I like everybody at my church. This is just, I will be a part of these people no matter what it takes. I, I'm stepping into that belonging. The next part broke it down more into specifics. To the breaking of bread. That's to community. That's having people as part of your life. So if you, for, for their culture, if you said the breaking of bread, they sat out and they ate a meal. W what did this take in? This, this took in a lot. This took in someone used their gift of hospitality to really prepare a meal because that preparing a meal then would have taken all day. It took in the fact that you were sitting down and having conversations about real life. Somebody was serving the children that were there and would probably get them around and tell them a story about something that they had learned or heard. That this, was, this was knowing the needs of the people that you were around. You know, the healthy, a lot of times people use this word click when it comes to church. There's, there's clicks at a church. There, there's groups of people. Okay, so yes, right? Uh, just, I, I've never been able to go to a church of 10,000 people and been best buds with everybody. Like, that's not possible. I don't think any of us have that kind of time in our life. Um, what, what are supposed to, groups in church are supposed to look like circles, but not people join hand in hand facing inward, but actually join hand in hand facing outward so that they're connected but welcoming. Does that make sense? That, like that's, the, that's the kind of the grouping idea of church. So they're committed to this and, <clears throat> and to prayer. So what did prayer represent? Prayer. It's just, that's, that's as clear cut as it could be. Just the discipline of talking to God. Why is it so important to be devoted to these things? Well, consider it for a minute. If you're committed and you're devoted, okay, even though I won't like everything I hear or, or I'm taught or I'll have a challenging idea come up against me or I'll have a tough time just getting up and getting there or finding time to do this in my day, I'm committed to learn. I'm committed to grow in my faith. I'm committed to a group of people. My heart is invested in, so I'm looking in. What am I looking for? Opportunities and needs. 
people to respond to, tasks to respond to. What, what, what does it mean to build community? That I'm going to open my home, and I'm going to invest deeply in, in, a, in a focused direction. And then ultimately, what am I going to do after I've grown and I'm also paying attention to people? I'm going to integrate those things as I talk to God. I mean, if we look at it, we're like, man, that's pretty solid. Like, yeah, let's, let's all be that. Now, as we continue down, we're going to see some things that kind of answer the question of it, we, need to take, we need to understand these concepts, but we've got to be careful when we're tempted as believers of handling this passage totally literally. It says, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Do we, do we see signs and wonders performed every time we meet? No, but if, if we're not careful, we, we can't say, hey, you know, because, we, because everybody gave a certain way, th- we have to follow exactly these verses. It says, now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and, and, and distributed the, the proceeds to all as any had need. Do we sell our houses when we hear about certain needs of the kingdom? No, we continue to pay our mortgage and live there. Okay, so we have to look at this and go, okay, what's the concepts that God allows us to put into our life versus what's literally going on here? So, so please keep this in mind, and I want to say this on behalf of the people that we're reading about. So these are predominantly Jewish Christians, many of which, well, not many at this point because we're in the thousands now, but, but there is a substantial group of people who literally saw Jesus float up. There's such excitement over the truth of Jesus being alive and people being eyewitnesses to that that many people really, as they came to this center, this this birthplace of the church, they never really left. So to stay and anticipate Jesus is coming back, I mean, if, if you saw, if you see somebody leave in the morning to go to work and you're going to be home all day, your kind of assumption is they're coming back. And sometimes you kind of live your day according to that person coming back, right? I mean, come on. I mean, even as adults, have we not straightened up and cleaned up and done certain things, even if we rush through them because of the person that's coming back in? Come on, guys. You got to at least be with me on that one. There are things that happen like that because we anticipate somebody coming back. So, So what may be going on here with these folks? They may have been very willing to sell pieces of property because they never saw themselves going back home to live there. They saw themselves going back with Jesus to heaven, or they saw themselves being established as a kingdom right there. So there's culturally things that are happening. Um, Later down the line, Paul goes to Gentile Christians and has to collect money because this group of people stayed so firmly where they were looking up. I mean, awesome, rejoicing about the truth of heaven, but they stayed there so locked in that they had great financial need that was met by people that were living faithful Christian lives, but going to work and paying their mortgage other places. Okay? It says, Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. You think we could get past with it? Can we, can we pass that one? Could, could we schedule seven day a week church services? And, and, and right after that service, you're hosting someone every day with a, with a big meal at your house? All of a sudden, it's like, you know, I think, you know, some people take stuff too seriously. Like, we just, like, moderation, folks, moderation, right? Like, we got to, let's keep everything in check. Um, It says, they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God, and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, notice, the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. Um, Ultimately, who is building the church? Jesus. He's doing it through us in many ways. I'm sure this lifestyle was attractive. I mean, if, you, if church would really be what church is meant to be, wouldn't that attract people? I would argue with you that it would attract people despite the fact that our message or our core purposeful beliefs about what Jesus teaches are fundamentally different. Just the aspect of pure, um, healthy community. Many people say, many people argue, hey, we lose college students to unbelief. I don't think we lose college students to unbelief. I think we lose college students to community. That's what people want. You go to college, what are you doing? You go to a college party, everybody's drinking alcohol out of the same trash can. I hope that thing's clean. 
And, and, and they're spending the night with people because they're like, hey, look, just, you can stay with me. I tell you what, let's, in the morning, you know, we'll, we'll go get breakfast together. I, you know, well, I don't, I don't want, I'll, I'll buy you breakfast. We'll, we'll eat on my meal card. They're spending time together. So, like, they're in community. Is it the community that we, want, we would want our students to be in? I'm not arguing that point. Is it the kind of community that we would say is spiritually growing and motivates them towards Jesus? I'm not arguing that. What I'm saying is it's community. And people respond to community. We all do. So when we look at this, I think our community would be the most attractive thing. But people would even, it's so attractive though, people would be able to acknowledge some differences coming in. I want to go to chapter 4, okay? Chapter 4, verse 32. Now we're going to look at a passage that gets us to compare two value-added ideas. Things versus people. And I don't want you just to hear things as money. I just want you to think of things as the, the, the resources of life, the things that you have at your disposal, whether it's money, time, whatever it is, okay? Verse 32 of chapter 4. Now, the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. Sounds like, hey, we haven't moved real far from chapter 2. We're consistent. We're, we're, we're doing some of the same things. Remember, these are passages that talk about the condition of the church, the people. One heart and mind. And no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. There was, there was a unity and there was a generosity. John Piper says one of the greatest things about a healthy church is that we learn to loosen our grip on things and tighten our hearts in relationship to people. Now, the, Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke, he wrote the book of Acts, um, he presents a philosophy that loving things, specifically money, for instance, and loving people is, is a difficult thing to really have both. What it usually turns into is loving things and loving the praise of people or loving the adoration that people have for you or, or people um, saying, hey, you, you look like what I would want to be. He said those two things are what typically go together. Um, we'll read that scripture um, Actually, let me see if I have that here. I think I've got that in my notes somewhere. Um, I'll run across it here in just a minute. I know I think I've got it here in my notes somewhere. Um, verse 33, with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on them all. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses and sold them brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as they had need. See, you see, this is one of the great things about church. There's always so many things going on in the background that you don't really even think about. People that serve. People that would just basically go out and find out who's in need, who needs something. That's a, that's a way to serve with your time and energies at church. People that were preparing meals. People that were there at the temple just welcoming, greeting people as they come in, introducing themselves, following up, say, hey, this person made a decision for Christ. Where do they live? Um, there, there's so many things going on behind the scenes in the church. It, it's, it's just a beautiful living organism that we can always be aware of, um, just like it is here. Um, it says this was distributed to each person as they had need. Joseph, now this is a specific example of somebody, and we're going to see two individuals contrasted here in just a second. Here's the first one. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, that's probably who you're more familiar knowing him as if you've read farther in the New Testament, uh, which is translated son of encouragement. That's, that was his nickname given. He was so encouraging, they referred to him as you're just the son of, the, son of encouragement. If, if encouragement was a human, then they had a baby, Barnabas, it would be you. Like, it's you. It says he sold a field he owned and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is an act of service that he did specifically in just generosity. He, he just wanted to be a part of what was going on. Now, that's the first example. That sounds great, right? Like, that sounds like the guy that we want to have around us, responding to someone in need. Now, chapter 5, okay? This is where it gets a little bit interesting. But a, a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, 
Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? This is the first time. Now, if you remember, last week when we looked at chapter 4, remember we, we talked about opposition. There, there was some opposition, a little bit of persecution. And then we even talked about what suffering was. For the first time in chapter 4, we see opposition against the movement of God in this world. But it was outside the people. It was an outside opposition. It wasn't an internal opposition. For the first time in this beautiful thing called the church, we see internal opposition. We see temptation in the form of Satan not wanting things to move forward. He's looking for a place to attack. He's looking for an opportunity. And that, that inward temptation is brought on by him to where we now see what is the struggle that will consistently plague the church and all the individuals that are part of it. The internal war of, I want to live for Jesus, but I'm battling desires in my life. And if anybody that is saved thinks they are above or beyond that battle, we're fooling ourselves. In fact, when we see others that fall, that are believers, when we really are quick to cast them away and look just down at them because of an action that they've done, we really elevate ourselves to the point of, you know what, I never would have done that. And, and that is the slippery slope of pride. Very slippery. That's not, pride is not what was supposed to be birthed in the church. It's actually supposed to be a home where people could find that, that have fallen, that they can be restored. He asked this and he says, okay, there's this, this internal struggle. He said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? This is the offense, lying to the Holy Spirit. If you notice, it, it, and then he almost kind of tags it as, and you kept part of something. Like that's actually... The, the, the way that we recognize that you've got this internal struggle. Um, wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. Peter sees that the great offense here is not personal. And if we really, when we live faithfully as believers, that's one of the healthiest mindsets that we can have. Hey, listen, what this person just did, I'm going to choose to not see it as the most personal attack that could come against me. I'm going to choose to see the sin that was against God in this so that maybe I can really open my heart for compassion on them. Like, because we, I mean, when, when somebody messes up, boom, automatically with that comes a, a window of compassion that we have an opportunity to minister into their life with. But if we think of it as a personal attack, that window really starts to close. Have you ever felt that? Like, I felt that in my own heart. When I choose to see something as, hey, you offended me, then all of a sudden that window is really, really tight for an opportunity. Now, Peter um, is, is, is in agreement with the writer here, with Luke, um, about this thing of freedom of faith that we're to not live coerced into action in the kingdom of God it's really more about what we get to do not what we have to do I mean think about it I mean this is a growing community that has needs and Peter's response is man look when you owned it you owned it it was yours it was already in your hands and even when you sold it like you had the whole pile of money Ananias you could have just kept it like nobody was making you give it but then this struggle came in in your heart, and we're going to look at it in just a second, really what, what, what that looked like when it became about, I'm going to do something, but I'm going to keep something, and now I'm cognizant of what people think of me and what I must look like. And when you start to fight those battles, it always ends up being loss after loss after loss after loss. It's really like the men's basketball record at NC State. I'm telling you, Nate, this is, I mean, this is biblical truth here for your people. I'm just telling you. When he hurt, now, look, now listen, now check this out. You, you, know you want to know when church gets serious? When he, that's Ananias, heard these words, Ananias dropped dead. We have some financial commitment papers that we're going to be passing out this morning. And we're going to be emailing them to you online virtually. We just need you to fill those out with just what you, I'm just kidding. So, I mean, they're talking about a, a, a gift and giving, and people are witnessing this. People are probably, probably you, know how, you know how a lot of times we half-hear conversations? 
there's probably a lot of half hearing of conversations, and but all of a sudden everybody's attention draws in with boom, he's dead. But but you know what? Maybe we okay, maybe we doubt for a second. Say, so you know what? It's coincidence, stressful, heart attack situation, you know, just anxiety. I mean, something could have happened. Something could have happened. Maybe this is just a coincidence. Okay. He dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard. Yeah, I would say so. The young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. Now, a burial process in this culture um, was, a, was, a, was a process. This, this is about a, a three- to four-day length process. The only time someone got buried quickly was because of they were um, capital punishment. Um, it, it, was, it was understood that it was something that God had done. Um, they, they just they, There wasn't a lot of contact with the body. So when we see the speed of this, this is the collective assumption of all the people. About three hours later, his wife came in. I just love it. I mean, it's just like, just, I mean, it just always, had, you know, and then the wife comes in. It's just real life. Um, uh, well, I hope it's not real life now. Not knowing what had happened, tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, buried her beside her husband. Then, gr then great fear came on the whole church. You think? Like this is, I mean, this is, whoo. And on all who heard these things, great fear. Yeah, yeah. Like this couple that gave like I was given, dead. I don't even know that I want to go back. Like what am I being judged? I mean, great, yes, great fear came over. This seems like a situation that, that fear would override us. I mean, but think about it. Have we really gotten away from this fear strategy when it comes to to, to just gospel ministry. Um, did anybody else grow up in a culture where you were told it seemed like almost more about what not to do than just how to live for Jesus? Like, we, we, like we, I mean, we coerce people. And there's Sundays, I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, I struggle with it because, like, I mean, our, in our kids' ministry, we do honestly have great need for more people to go in there and serve right now. We need it, desperately need it. But I honestly don't want to just, I don't want to coerce people I want people to live in freedom of faith. I want them to just, I don't, like, I want to. I get to. Like, I really want that. Plus, I'll be honest with you. I don't want people who maybe don't really believe in Jesus to come in going, man, if I, if I go there, if I join a people like this, I'm going to be pulled at and pressed on all the time. I'm going to be guilted into stuff, and guilt is a, just a short drive over to fear because it's, if I don't do this, what's going to happen to me? Giving in fear is just the worst. Serving out of just guilt is just miserable. But, it's, but, but here's what the Bible says, that the great fear came up. So are we supposed to live in fear? Is this the way the church continued? Thankfully, no. They were able to get this in proper perspective. I'm going to jump over just for a second. This isn't going to be on the screen, but this is out of Acts chapter 9, verse 31. This is another statement that summarizes the state of the church, and thankfully we see that they've got a good grip on this, okay? This is what they say. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. In other words, there was unity, and they were growing spiritually, being ready to do stuff. So, so, so the health of the church looks good. And they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. The church multiplied. That's how we're supposed to live. In, with a respect for who God really is, but with the comfort that he lives inside of me and wants to help me grow. And that the ultimate result of a mistake isn't drop dead. Or... The reason why your car breaks down this week or mine breaks down this week is not because I failed to read my Bible seven days last week. Like That's not the life that we're called to live in fear of. But I'm going to be honest with you. Stories like this, do they, do they kind of, I mean, do they kind of get you where you're like, oh, really? Like, God, that had to happen? Could we have not had another illustration to show how serious you are about stuff? And I stand here before you telling you, I cannot explain totally everything that God does. In fact, I would argue this. You don't want me to be able to explain everything 
that God does because that means that he and I are on such a close um, academic level, intellectual level, that this mess is almost up to God's level. You don't want a pastor. You, you don't want a God like that. That's not the kind of God that you want to worship. God is not a preacher on Sunday in a three-piece suit. So much more. So much more. I, I can tell you this. How, how, do, how do we rationalize a story like this? Assuming that these people are believers, then their life stands as a living example of how seriously we need to take our faith relationship with Jesus, every part of it. And at the very worst, they went to heaven. And if God, in his sovereignty, can teach serious lessons, but love his people so much to bring them home, if he can make those kind of decisions, then that's the kind of God that I'm, I, I need to put my faith in. Because he's making decisions on a lot more purposeful level than I usually am able to make mine on day in and day out. Now, again, do, do I think this is compassion towards it? Would I argue compassion towards people that falter? Yes. But I guess in technicality, as long as they're breathing, <laughs> right? As long as they're breathing, we got to love them. Now, I want to tell you real quickly, because um, remember, I, I, we want to we push off fear. Here's the four things that Ananias and Sapphira really had wrong. Number one, they love their money. They love their things. Um, they couldn't deal with the idea of giving it all away. Um, where do we see God's consistency in this? If you go back to the Old Testament and the camp of the Israelites, when people kept for themselves and did not offer what they were called to offer to God, God judged seriously. Ultimately, that's the sin that Lucifer, who became Satan, was guilty of. He was the worship leader in glory and in heaven. And instead of letting it all go to God in the pride of his heart, he was keeping some of that, this sounds so good for himself. So God's consistent on this, and, 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 and this is what they were guilty of. Also, um, they wanted uh, to look more generous than they were. I believe this is why we have the comparison of Barnabas in this passage. really believe that's, that, that very well could be exactly why he's in here. Um, the love of money and the love of the praise of people um, often go together. I told you that earlier. Here's where I have this verse. Luke 16, 14, and 15. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and scoffing at him. And he told them, as Jesus, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts, for what is highly admired by the people um, is revolting to God in God's sight. The Pharisees were people that, that really, really loved things. It, they loved what they were gathering up in life, even though they were religious leaders. They loved it. Um, but they also went after the respect of people. They wanted to look a certain way in front of people. Third thing they did, they, they, they lied. They just lied. Now, th that may sound a little redundant, but I want you to catch this. Um, they, they lied to cover up. If, if someone loves their things and they love the praise of people, then typically the next step is hypocrisy. I've seen that in my life. If I really want to look a certain way in front of people, and, and it involves having something or, or getting something accomplished, typically I'm, I'm so absorbed in that that I'm less conscious of how I'm really living, but I'm glad to tell you how to live. Does that make sense? Like it's, it's, it's a quick step. The last thing um, I want to point out is, is that they didn't, they didn't respect the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know what their main issue with the Holy Spirit is, but, but I think it's, it's one of three things. Number one, they just really didn't believe the Holy Spirit was really present. Like they didn't, they didn't see that they really needed to grow in that faith and that interaction of, okay, Lord, you're living in me. Let me listen to you. Maybe they just didn't really think the Holy Spirit was present. Um, maybe they, he, he, they thought that he was present. In theory, he was a nice idea, but surely he didn't know the thoughts of my mind. Um, we're very guilty as believers. Uh, the New Testament talks about there are, um, there are situations that are pointed out in the New Testament that people are actually physically ill because of sin. Not every, not every illness, and Jesus is clear about it, not every illness is a, is a, is a result of sin, but there are certain things that, that sin struggles create, and it really feels like a sickness in our flesh. We, we kind of convince ourselves, surely God doesn't know what I'm thinking or when our thoughts are really wrapped around something. At the very least, we're just not conscious of the Holy Spirit is part of this moment. It's why, it's why when um, the Bible talks about sexual sin, he says you're literally taking the Holy Spirit. You're saying, come on, buddy, here we go. 
We're diving into this together because we can't go anywhere as a believer without the Holy Spirit. It's, it's how serious it is. Or, um, this is the third one. Um, they may have thought the Holy Spirit was present, but that was only, or the Holy Spirit is only about grace and not correcting us. Like, oh, it just, it's all going to be love. It's all going to be good. There's really not going to be any conviction in my heart or struggle in my life when I live opposite of what he would tell me to do. I think they really misunderstood. Now, th- that was their mistakes. And that was what really um, needed to be understood by these people. I don't know how much they talked about it. They, we, we don't know how much this was discussed after it happened. But we do know that there were clear examples of people that continued to live confidently in life in that good balance. Barnabas, who was in this story, I believe is one of them. Here's a little bit of a highlight reel for him. Um, not just that he gave this offering, um, but it also says several other things. Let me uh, make sure I don't repeat any of them. Um, he will meet um, Paul and be an advocate for him in his ministry. Um, he, was one of the, he was one of the great leaders, one of the shepherds of the Gentile converts, specifically in the city of Antioch. Um, he was trusted to take relief. He was trusted to take a huge offering um, to the poor back in Jerusalem. Um, he was the first partner in Paul and all of his missionary journeys. And as a partner of Paul, he was an advocate for John Mark, who was a brother in Christ, who, who Paul got really frustrated with. He was an advocate to restore him back into ministry and get him active as part of it too. This is a pretty solid guy. He lived pretty faithfully um, in, in, in the real world. I, I, I go over all this to get us to this point. Here's a statement that I want you to consider as really an idea that we need to, that, that I believe that is a healthy idea for us to see ourselves as, as a people together, as a church, whether we're here, whether we're watching online, no matter where we're at, as we, as we continue to move through time in life, this is, I believe, a healthy picture. This statement is going to be on the screen. We are a people who are consistently continuing in our walk with Jesus. If you notice, that, that's that real key part there to the beginning of what was said in chapter 2 in Acts. We, we, we can understand, we can be rational, real people and realize, hey, what's going to struggle if we stay as a group of people? Marriages are going to struggle. Finances are going to struggle. Culture is going to seem like it's against us. Um, we're going to have big decisions. to make. Like, yes, do all those exist? Yep, but you know what? Moving forward. Moving forward. Continually. And as we move forward, we're a people who we loosen our grip on things and things can represent a lot of things. Our time, our, um, our, our serving, uh, it, it can be possessions. It can be just the, the generosity of our home. We, we can loosen our grip on how perfect everything has to look. But if we loosen in one area, it's, it's for tightening another. What's the tightening for? And tightening our hearts in relationship to people. That may be somebody that's in a smaller community for you. It may just be falling in love with this big group of people you're a part of. But the Bible calls us to faithful in all those areas. We're not to neglect big groups. We're not to neglect small groupings. We're not to, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't eliminate any of it. You say, well, man, I, I don't feel like I can, I can be at everything. I get it. I get it. When I grew up, what was a faithful believer in a church culture? Church three times a week minimum. And you better be at some meetings too, right? Most pastors I talk to, people that are, are really connected to their church and really active. I said many times now, because our culture has shifted and changed a little bit, schedules are different, things that happen on weekends um, are different, people, uh, all kinds of groups load activities and load work hours and load so much stuff up on weekends that it's really changed our culture. Some, a lot of pastors I talk to say, hey, if, if somebody's really there and able to be there two times a month, that's kind of like the old three times a week sometimes it seems like. It's, it's, it is very different, but if, if, if it's always about a get-to, we won't walk in the doors feeling like, well, I haven't been here in a couple weeks. No, it's I get to be here today. And the next time we have an opportunity, you know what? I could do this instead, but I, but I get to. I get to gather with my, I, I get to be a part of this ministry. I get to serve here. Because ultimately, it's connected to people. If we're just connecting it to the sign-up list, it's not good enough. It's got to be about investing in people. If you serve in a kid's ministry, it's got to be the vision of that child is going to ultimately one day be a, a husband or wife. They're going to have a family. They're going to have troubled teenage years, and they're going to go to college, perhaps, or they're going to start working, and they're going to be around people that, that, that believe differently. So we're, we're pouring in now. That's a person. If you're working with students, or you're leading a small group, or you're opening a door, or you're helping someone find the right place, or to connect into something, 
It's about people. It's about knowing what's going on in their life because ultimately we have this gift of prayer to talk with God about us and others. Now, for most of us, we, we need a way to evaluate, and that, that's healthy because Jesus ran an expectation-driven ministry. Um, we needed a way to evaluate. So here's, here's a report card I want to suggest to you that just covers some of these concepts and covers some of the healthy look of what's in Acts. This is going to be on the screen. Here's a report card. Um, very simple, um, simple things to look at in, in, in your life and in my life. Uh, word-based growth. How am I growing based on the truth of what God's Word says? Not, not just books I read, not just um, songs I listen to, but what is the truth from God's Word that is impacting my life right now? It, can, it, it needs to come, honestly, from, from listening to Bible teaching and from time in the Word alone. That, that's, we can evaluate that. Like that's, that's tangible enough to evaluate. The next one is big group. Like What's my identity with my, my church? We do not push and promote Reedy Fork Community Church, not just because it's too long and too many words to put on a T-shirt. We're here to promote Jesus Christ. But there's a whole lot of ways to fall in love with a group of people that's committed together at one place that we can fall in love with that. There's tangible ways. Am I attending? Am I, am I, am I showing up at places? Am I watching? Am I, am I connecting in? Am I responding when there's collective things that we're doing? Small group. Am I part of a community group? Am I serving in a smaller area? Am I able to get deeper into certain people's lives for the cause of Christ than just falling in love with the bigger overall group. That's, that's a tangible thing. We can track that together. Prayer, simple as it gets. For most of us, am I praying? And when we get to yes, am I praying enough? Can I pray more? How will we land there? How are we doing with things? How important are the things, the projects, the things that are going on in our life versus how important are people? Um, one of, the, one of the leadership books that um, I'm getting ready to begin with our staff talks about um, if, if what we say is going well is this program, this launch ministry, this collection project, then, then we're, we're having the wrong conversation. Um, what's going on in ministry? Let me tell you about this person, this person, this person, and how they're growing or, or how we're ministering to them or, or what they need. Like that, if we can anchor into that, we're, we're much healthier as a group of people. Now, for many of us, I, I, I titled this a report card because when I look back at my report cards from growing up, um, my grades were usually great. My, con my conduct marks, eh, they would kind of fluctuate. So for most of us, this report card will tell us one of two things, and, and, it, and it's old school report card kind of critiquing. Number one, there's something we need to start. There'll be one of these areas or multiple of these areas we need to, we need to do something in that we haven't done yet. Or it's going gonna, it's gonna to tell us what, what I heard the majority of the time when I was in school and when I got home with my report card. Stop talking and pay more attention. In other words, um, don't, don't convince ourselves that we're doing enough or don't, don't continue in conversations where we're comparing ourselves to what someone else is doing or not doing. Just let me just listen, God. Just let me listen to you. Let me push out voices that aren't yours and just listen to you. It's a pretty... It's a pretty straightforward thing. And I would argue this, um, how, how the spirit of evaluation, um, evaluate ourselves not as, I'm not gonna, I don't want to evaluate my, myself from the standpoint of being an employee because most of us, we always think we're doing a good job. Let's, let's evaluate from the perspective of an owner because if you remember, part of the beginning of this series in Acts started with what? Jesus tossing us the keys. And saying, what you loose in heaven, it's already ready. It's already ready for you. If you'll unlock the door, it's, it's going to come to you. But if you don't unlock it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to stay where it's at. Like, that's ownership. That's real ownership. Like, we're doing this with Jesus living through us. So that's a healthy way for us to evaluate and believe. If you will, bow your heads for just a second. One of the things I want to do as we end this service, um, I'm not going to push for money, and I'm not going to push for people to serve. At least not now. Um, but I do want to take an opportunity to pray. Um, this Wednesday, we have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to connect with your church, with a group, small or big. I don't know what it will be. Um, if it's like it was last month, it was just a, a, a very small a number of us. But you have a chance this Wednesday to connect in, especially if you would like to pray over a need or over something in your life. Um, that's a great opportunity for this coming Wednesday. As we leave the service, I know there's several needs in our church. One of um, our elders this week um, lost 
his mother. Um, we've got several people that have had over the last few weeks procedures, and we've had folks that are having babies and had babies. Uh, there's a gentleman that's a very good friend of our church, Joe, who's having surgery tomorrow. Um, not Joe that's um, part of our band. Um, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's not having surgery just so we can eliminate those conversations after service. Um, but we have a gentleman that's having surgery tomorrow that he would uh, ask for prayer, and we're going to pray over him now. Um, but we, I, we do, we want to pray. Pray not just for receiving, but pray to show and hear the words that our hearts are connected to people. That's the tightening that's going on in our life. Father God, thank you so much for the love that you give us. Lord, I pray for those that are in need. Thank you that the, um, the spirit of boldness lives in just people asking for prayer. So Lord, we, we trust that you're going to be with Joe and, and just even the thoughts of his mind as he goes in for a surgery that he's concerned with. God, that you'll be in there and you'll minister to families that are going through times of hurting. Um, God, you'll do everything that we need and and God, we're here to, to see what you do and watch what you do, not assuming um, it's going to be what we want, but Lord, really watching and learning through what you do. God, what is it that we really do need? Because God, I believe that our hearts right now need to hear the message of what does it mean to be your people gathered together? Because there are things in this world like COVID and, 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 and rules and regulations that seem conveniently there and, and really almost, Lord, um, testing our bonds with each other. God, this desire that we have to be a people, not just part of a program or just kind of tapping in when we can, but God, really falling in love again about what you're doing through us and in us and with us and, and launching that out to others that are in our life. God, we need to be a church right now for each other more than we've ever needed. God, not because we're in trouble. God, you've given us what we need just to make it, but God, we don't want to make it as a people. We want to be your church on fire for the kingdom of God, living faithfully, continuing, knowing that resistance can happen. And in fact, it's, it's, it's certain. But Lord, we're not going to stop. And the things that we're not going to stop, we're not going to stop being rude. We're not going to stop um, waving signs at people. God, so many of those things, maybe we don't even need to start them. We just need to be faithfully growing ourselves. Lord, we need to be thinking about big groups and, and, and intimate needs of people's lives. And God, taking all of that to you for ourselves and for others. And so engaged in conversations that we'll never need just to stand and shout at crowds. Lord, help us to be your faithful people. Lord, whatever stand you want us to take, show us and help us to do it. For Lord, I know for so many of us, it won't be the stand we take this week, but it'll be the moment that we contact someone. It'll be the time that we just learn, God, what do you want us to live in? It'll be the focus that we keep of, God, the grace that you give us and who Jesus is and, and the greatness of our Savior. Especially, Lord, in light of who we are. And that we've been given the grace to continue living when we've made enough mistakes in life to lose our life and have the cost of sin come due. But God, through the grace of Jesus, we have salvation in him. Lord, it's all these things that we pray and are so thankful for in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we wrap up the service here, if you're watching online or you're here, we want to invite you to stand and, and connect again in worship. Um, I'll be up front if you would like to pray over something. If you want to talk about seriously a relationship with Jesus Christ, what it means to, to, to know him and then as a byproduct, be part of a people. If you're here today or you're, if you're virtual, talk to me here, talk to someone here, connect. You, there's tons of ways to connect into our church. Send messages in. And, and we're looking for those questions. We're looking for those names so that we can talk about those, the most important questions of life. Thank you so much for being here.